I'm kind of bullish on graduate education, bearish on bachelor's uh, degrees. Uh, what we're seeing is a transformation of the current higher education model, get all the education you need, or at least you need to start uh, by the age of you know, 22 or 23 or 24 um, and spend $100,000 or more. <laughs> What's up, everybody? My name is Ish, and I'm the founder of Virtually. And this is Reshaping Education where we discuss the future of higher education, including online trade schools, boot camps, ISAs, and so much more. This week's conversation was with Ryan Craig, a legendary author who writes about education. Ryan Craig has been one of my favorite authors, and to have him on this week was an absolute honor. We get into the nitty gritty about what's not working about higher education and discuss what a better future could look like. This conversation could have gone on for hours, but we tried to keep it at just 30 minutes. I hope you enjoy. Hey everyone, my name is Ish, founder and CEO of Virtually, and today I'm joined by Ryan Craig, Managing Director of Achieve Partners, formerly University Ventures, author of New You, College Disrupted, and a lot, whole lot more essays about the future of higher education. Ryan, super excited to have you, been a long time admirer, and uh, finally we're able to get you on the podcast. Yes, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah. Well, Ryan, it must be quite a year. You know, the past past twelve months almost. Uh, I know you've been writing about this topic and the future of higher ed for so long. The world's been changing rapidly, and there's so much to unpack in our conversation today. But one of the things I want to start off with is a lot of what you have written about questioning the value of higher ed seems to be reaching mass adoption after a long, long time. So, how does that feel? Well, when you're as old as I am, it doesn't feel that long. <laughs> but uh, you're right. Uh, we, we are uh, we are shifting from a world where uh, it was college for all, college for everyone, college is the only option, uh, to a world where we're going to have hundreds and then thousands uh, of different pathways uh, to uh, economic success, uh, and um, that's that's good uh, because what's 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 been happening, at least for the last uh, decade, is not working. Uh, if you look at uh, the uh, millennial generation and sort of the, uh, the economic uh, outcomes that they've been attaining, uh, they're graduating with uh, too much student loan debt. They're graduating into underemployment. Uh, too many are not graduating. Almost 50% of those who uh, attempt a degree program fail to complete. So if you add all that up, uh, you're getting kind of 70% of those who enroll in a degree program, obtain a negative outcome, at least initially. And we know now that if you're underemployed in your first job, uh, two thirds of the time you're underemployed five years later, half the time you're underemployed a decade later. Uh, and we see that uh, with millennials falling behind uh, my generation, uh, Gen X, uh, and the boomer generation on virtually every economic metric uh, adjusted for inflation in terms of income, in terms of wealth, in terms of uh, home ownership, in terms of new business creation. It's really, it's really, I mean, it, they, they, they sort of began entering the workforce uh, around the time of the Great Recession, and they completed entering entering the workforce uh, uh, with the COVID uh, recession. It's kind of a star-crossed uh, generation, but uh, it, 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 it's significant. And uh, obviously, there are things we need to do for uh, un, unemployed and underemployed millennials but there are also things we need to do to change the system so that the same thing doesn't happen to uh, Gen Z. Yeah. Uh, well, and certainly. And and Ryan, 
most commonly, the guests we kind of bring onto the show are typically CEOs and and founders of these alternative education programs that you've talked about uh, so much. These boot camps, these career accelerators, and right around the 2011 is when they really started to flourish. And and we're now seeing them to even accelerate more to a degree because I think for the first time there's a reason for them to expe- extend beyond technology. I think one of the reasons that we saw the rise of you know coding boot camps and these technology career accelerators is because you could double or triple your income. But because of COVID and how much unemployment there is, that's not what people are really caring about. And and so it seems like for the first time, we're, we're seeing people build these programs outside of technology, and there's an opportunity for that. And, and I know there's going to be a lot for us to unpack in this conversation, but I want to real quick take a step back and maybe get a little bit more into your background and how, how you got to what you're doing today. Sure. Uh, so what I do today is I run uh, Achieve Partners, uh, and the prior fund was called University Ventures. So together, I think we're the largest uh, investor uh, in higher education, specifically and now with Achieve at the intersection of education and uh, employment. Uh, we have about uh, 50 portfolio companies uh, under, uh, under management. Uh, and, um, you know, we, we'd like to say we sort of invest in uh, where the puck is going. Uh, in education and, uh, and, and workforce. And how I got here was I uh, graduated from Yale, uh, went to work at McKinsey for a couple of years as an analyst, uh, then went back to Yale for law school and then got into the education business. Uh, my first job out of Yale Law School was working for the executive vice provost of Columbia University uh, in the dot-com era, helping Columbia figure out what it could or should be doing uh, online. Uh, and from there, I made a big jump, uh, recruited uh, by uh, a headhunter uh, to uh, Warburg Pincus, uh, the, the big New York-based private equity firm, where I helped make some sense of their education and training investment uh, strategy. And it was there that I co-founded uh, a company called uh, Bridgepoint Education, uh, which is one of the, um, the, fa- the fast-growing uh, for-profit online universities um, a decade ago. Uh, company went public, and it was on the uh, on the strength of that that I was able to raise uh, uh, the first university ventures fund uh, with my partner Daniel Pianco uh, and a couple of others. And then in 2014, Daniel and I took over University Ventures uh, uh, for the second fund, uh, and now we've launched uh, Achieve uh, Partner. So University Ventures, when we founded it, the goal was uh, investing in sort of next generation higher education businesses, uh, primarily businesses that would partner with colleges and universities to help them do things that they couldn't do or uh, didn't do well or shouldn't maybe be doing. Um, but we were better done by sort of a, uh, a private sector market-oriented uh, uh, student responsive uh, partner. Um, and so we did, we made a number of investments in sort of early uh, OPM uh, online program uh, manager uh, models uh, but increasingly around 2014, 2015, uh, looking at uh, how millennials were performing economically, we began to f- uh, turn the focus of the fund more towards the intersection of education and employment. It began investing in coding boot camps like Galvanize, uh, for example. We were the first investor in, uh, in that company. Uh, other boot camps, income share models. So, for example, uh, we were the first uh, institutional investor in Vimo education, which powers most of the income share agreements for uh, boot camps and uh, as well as colleges and universities that are deploying uh, ISAs. And we began to see um, how these new alternative models uh, were serving serving students, doing a better job of serving students, serving students. And we coined the term 
last mile training uh, to reflect what we think uh, these these new models uh, bring, uh, which is helping to bridge the skills gap between the skills that colleges and universities are adept uh, at inculcating, uh, which are primarily cognitive skills, critical thinking skills, problem solving skills, the hard stuff, uh, and uh, where employers actually want uh, employees for early entry entry level jobs, which is all of that plus. Uh, specific constellations of digital skills, uh, tech stacks, uh, and business knowledge. Uh, and that's where, obviously, these coding boot camps were beginning to uh, gain some traction. Um, but also, uh, you know, we, we uh, in about 2015, 2016, began recognizing that, uh, look, just because you graduate from a coding boot camp with, uh, you know, uh, JavaScript, doesn't mean that you're immediately employable. Uh, now we had a number of companies that were achieving, you know, very strong employment outcomes, but you're not guaranteeing uh, an outcome uh, for students. Now, what if you could eliminate all that friction for the student uh, in terms of the, the employment outcome? What if you could eliminate uh, the friction in terms of tuition? Uh, and what if you could eliminate friction in terms of the employer? Uh, and uh, allow the employer to try the talent before they needed to buy the talent. And that's where our company Reviture uh, came in. Uh, we built we built Reviture um, as the first uh, sort of uh, uh, last mile training apprenticeship uh, model. Uh, and that was extremely successful. Uh, and we sold that company last year uh, to uh, Investcore after it had scaled uh, rapidly. Uh, and it's that model uh, of essentially paying uh, students uh, from day one and hiring them from day one eliminates all the friction uh, for uh, the candidate. It means you've truly leveled the playing field. You can get uh, a, a, a superb uh, sort of set of diverse candidates into your program because there's no friction. Uh, and uh, you make it easier on the employers as well because uh, they don't know what reviture talent means. Uh, but uh, when Reviture acts as the employer of record for up to two years and Reviture is willing to staff that talent out uh, to uh, employers uh, on a temp to perm basis, uh, there's really no reason for uh, large employers to uh, not want to try uh, this new uh, purpose-trained uh, diverse talent. And so uh, Reviture was successful and now we've done it a number of times uh, as well, talent path uh, which is a subsidiary of Genuine uh, Tectonic, uh, which is the first uh, apprenticeship program, uh, registered DOL apprenticeship program for software development based in Denver. Uh, we have uh, in Achieve now uh, Optimum Healthcare IT, which is doing it for a series of healthcare IT stacks where uh, hospitals uh, are seeing skills, skills gaps. Uh, and our new fund, uh, we're going to be doing it in cybersecurity and data science and analytics, in cloud, in Salesforce, where we're acquiring business services companies that already have solved the hardest part of the skills gap, which is the connection to the end employers. These are companies that already have dozens or hundreds of end employers, uh, of, of clients, uh, and uh, essentially transforming these businesses into what we call talent as a service, uh, where they're in addition to doing what they've done historically, uh, they're now also uh, serving up a new product, which is purpose-trained entry-level talent that we make available to clients on a try-before-you-buy basis. And I think that's the, the punchline of my book, which is not in the book uh, because we learned it after I'd written it, uh, is that uh, the, the, the last-mile training models that will scale furthest and fastest and be most durable are those that eliminate friction for both the candidate and the end employer. So these are these apprenticeship 
of models. Uh, and now I would go so far as to say that uh, if uh, someone is seeking uh, upskilling uh, in an area where there's a, truly a skills gap and uh, some school or bootcamp or provider is asking you to pay tuition or take on any financial risk at all in return for that upskilling, uh, because there's a very willing payor for that upskilling and it's the ultimate employer of that. And it's a, it simply requires you to change your business model. And so that's what we're doing. We're investing in those new business models. Yeah, certainly. And you've clearly thought a lot about the space, Ryan. And one of the things I'm really curious about is that it, it seems that like graduate schools have really had a monopoly when it comes to reskilling and retraining. Generally, if you came out of college and you felt underemployed, you'd spend a couple of years in the industry and then you'd go back to grad school. But now we're seeing the rise of these alternative models. And it seems like they are much better in that you're learning incredibly relevant knowledge. You're learning it from experts, domain experts who have been in the industry, and you're doing this in often months, not years, for a fraction of the cost. And like you said, it's a lot of there's, it's de-risks to a lot of ways. And so the rise of these alternative educational institutions, I'm really curious, what does this mean for higher higher ed and universities as a whole? Well, it's funny you start with graduate programs. I think the bigger impact is going to be on undergraduate programs. I think I say in my book that. You know, I'm kind of bullish on graduate education, bearish on bachelor's uh, degrees, because I think that fundamentally uh, what we're seeing is a transformation of the current higher education model, sort of all you can eat in one sitting, uh, where you sort of get all the education you need, or at least you need to start uh, by the age of, you know, 22 or 23 or 24 um, and spend $100,000 or more yeah. <laughs> on yeah, totally. and it sounds like what you're saying is that like it doesn't make sense for you to have one four-year degree, which is enough education for the entirety of your career. You need to constantly scale and reskill. In your head, you know, graduate programs can kind of fill that gap, but couldn't also these alternative programs, these mini universities that are maybe like you know six weeks to six months, yeah. couldn't they also fill that gap? Yeah, no, hundred uh, percent. I think the idea of a two-year master's degree program uh, will also become antiquated uh, in a few years, and you're going to see unbundled master's programs that are focused on specific skill areas and specific pathways to help someone with your background uh, reach a specific uh, career goal. But those are only going to be relevant to, to those who already have their foot firmly on the first rung uh, of a career uh, pathway. So it's not, you know, I, I think a lot about the 10 million Americans who are out of work in the last year, out of retail and travel and hospitality and food service, you know, uh, the, what, they, what they need is probably not a master's degree. <laughs> right? they, they, they need a much more focused, uh, faster, cheaper pathway to get their foot uh, on that first rung uh, of a career ladder. And that's where I think these last mile training uh, models are going to play a really significant uh, role. It's what we're seeing uh, currently with the programs that our companies uh, are running. Yeah, certainly. And, and Ryan, one thing you mentioned there, and we talked about it last week with uh, Michael B. Horn as well, is this idea of unbundling of higher education. And, and you talk about it a lot in your writing. So I'd love to hear what does that mean to you? Right. Well, so the bundle is the degree. Uh, when you're buying a degree, uh, you're paying tuition and fees and room and board and books and lots of other uh, costs. But, you know, uh, that's for, I don't know, 50, 60 different services. It's for the the classrooms and the access to the library and the access to the gym and the climbing wall, and whatever it else uh, it, it is, even whether even if you're not a, a student uh, in, on campus uh, in residence, uh, you're, you're you're paying for lots of different uh, services. 
the actual uh, delivery of the education uh, in the uh, in the courses. Uh, so, um, you know, how do you unbundle that? Uh, un unbundling uh, in the same way that, you know, your the way we buy music uh, was uh, has been unbundled, the way we used to buy TV and, you know, spending $150 for your monthly cable bill that's being uh, unbundled. Can we, can we buy what we need when we need it? And increasingly, uh, because of how employers have changed uh, their requirements uh, for entry-level jobs, which are increasingly focused on specific tech skills and business knowledge. You know, is there an unbundled pathway uh, that gets you to that first job faster uh, and cheaper? Uh, and the answer is yes. Uh, although it must be said that most of the uh, pathways, the alternative pathways that we're seeing are still being uh, utilized primarily uh, by folks who already have bachelor's degree programs. There's obviously millions of underemployed millennials who still need help there. Uh, but we're very focused on building pathways that uh, are surely going to be alternatives uh, for students who come right out of high school uh, and can, 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 uh, can pursue one of these. Now, uh, I don't think it's correct that uh, your typical high school graduate uh, is just three months, three months away from starting a career. That's probably not the case. But I was speaking to the board of one of the large charter school management organizations last year and talking about our last mile programs. And, uh, you know, what one of the board members said was, well, you know, we could imagine a two-year pathway out of high school or maybe done uh, in a dual enrollment way with the last two years of, of high school that is specifically focused on uh, equipping students with the skills that they're going to need in order to be prepared to start your last mile uh, pathway. And that two-year program obviously is going to look very different from what a you know, community college associate's degree looks like with the goal of trying to transfer uh, to a four-year institution and earn a bachelor's degree. Um, uh, but you, you don't see, you know, you don't see too many of those pathways uh, out there yet, but we're, we will see them. We will see them and they'll be, uh, you know, uh, run by uh, for-profit companies. They'll be run by, uh, you know, some entrepreneurial community colleges. They'll be run actually by high schools and more likely charter school organizations that are uh, looking at the outcomes uh, for their graduates and not seeing good things uh, for charter school organizations that have been, focusing on college for all uh, as, uh, as, as, the, as the sole objective, as the goal, uh, and seeing that maybe only 15% of all of their graduates are actually launching their careers successfully, right? So what should they be doing? Well, the answer is new alternative pathways and on-ramps to these last mile programs that can get you, uh, 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 help you get your foot on the first rung of a career ladder and then look around and ascertain uh, what secondary or tertiary pathway you're going to pursue in order to build up those cognitive skills and problem-solving skills and critical thinking skills that you're going to need to be successful in the long run. And let me just be clear that we're not suggesting in any way that less post-secondary education is advisable or even viable in the global knowledge economy. That would be economic suicide. But what we are saying is that the way we're going to consume our post-secondary education is changing. It's changing from all you can eat in one sitting to what you need when you need it. And that's, you know, it's lifelong learning uh, is, the, is the moniker for that. Uh, and most colleges and universities would say, if you talk to, you know, 100 higher education leaders, they'd say, yeah, we're all in favor of lifelong learning. But what they're in favor of, their definition of lifelong learning is, sure, after everyone gets a bachelor's degree, then they'll come back and buy more. And my answer is, that's not what lifelong learning is going to be. Lifelong learning is going to be, uh, your students are going to start with faster and cheaper pathways uh, to good first jobs and then come back and get what they need 
when they need it. And your institution's either going to play a role in that uh, or they're not. And if, they're, if you're not going to, you're going to see your enrollment decline unless you're you know, one of the top 50 brands uh, in higher education. Yeah, certainly. And with these 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 new alternative programs, one of the fundamental shifts we're seeing is that because a lot of them are outcome based, it, it's in terms of the breakdown of what the student experience is like, is it it shifts from being 99 percent education and one percent outcomes to being more balanced where these institutions actually care about job placement. And, and like you talk about the employment imperative where for them, that is a core value is that one, these, these programs generally, unlike university majors, where you get a major in English or major in econ, it's very unclear what that maps to. Usually when you enroll in these bootcamps or career accelerator, it's with a specific outcome in mind and, and they help you get there. So 50% of it is delivering this curriculum, but also 50% of it is actually making sure there's the job placement. And so now when we kind of talk about this employment imperative, uh, one of the things that really is like top of mind for me, and I'd love to get your thoughts, is that universities, a lot of people, I see there's two core functions there is one, the job training and, the, and research. And one of the, the major functions that I see that it's really failing is is actually that job training. And I think that's fundamentally because the people who teach at universities, they're great academics, they're great researchers, but they have not spent time in industry. Or even if they have, it's been so long ago that those skills aren't even relevant anymore. And so do you feel like college professors are the right people to be providing job training? And how will colleges be able to ensure that their curriculums even stay up to date, if, if not? Uh, they're not. <laughs> Unfortunately, they are the right people to equip uh, students uh, with things they, they, they will need uh, and, and do need, uh, which is critical thinking skills, cognitive skills, problem solving skills, communication skills, writing skills, and so forth. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, if you go to a typical co college or university and ask who's responsible for making students get jobs, they're going to direct you over to career services, which is an office probably on the corner of campus, not open nights and weekends, and staffed by folks who don't even come out of those industries but have probably worked in career services all their lives which would be great if everyone was trying to get a job in career services. But unfortunately, I don't think the industry is that is big enough. Uh, so um, it's, it's a huge problem. You know, I've written about uh, solutions like turning degree programs upside down, uh, which is uh, instead of starting with 60 credits of general education, uh, make the first year, uh, you know, two uh, distinct industry recognized certifications. Uh, so uh, the 40% uh, of students who don't make it past the first year at least they're getting credentials of value they'll be able to take out into the market. Now, of course, you know, uh, uh, asking a uh, department to uh, turn uh, a degree program upside down uh, is not something that any faculty member is going to welcome <laughs> when they've been teaching the same course the same way for 10 or 20 years. Uh, so it's gonna require uh, quite a bit of institutional leadership uh, to overcome that inertia, uh, but it can be done. Uh, we've seen it done uh, before. And um, that's the sort of thing that uh, gets uh, job uh, preparation uh, out of uh, solely being the province of career services, which frankly has allowed the rest of the institution to uh, ab absolve themselves of responsibility uh, for that, that absolutely critical uh, function. Um, so, you know, it, it uh, as, as, uh, as, as uh, someone has, has, has noted, Career services needs to be blown up. It's just not. It's not. It's not productive to believe that uh, that function, as, as important it is, should be the you know uh, should be the sole province of one office among fifty 
that uh, students might uh, partake of. And only about 50% of students actually even uh, visit career services uh, before they, they, they graduate. I mean, in, in, your, in your head, what, what is career services replaced with? What is a better alternative? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a career-oriented institution uh, where uh, getting students uh, good first jobs is the responsibility of every single faculty and staff member. Uh, and Got it. So, so it's not an add-on, it's core to the curriculum. It's absolutely core, absolutely core. So you're integrating, and that means that you're integrating into even liberal arts and humanities courses, uh, you know, uh, relevant uh, technical and digital skills where you can, you know, integrating Salesforce and Epic uh, into a history uh, class or a literature class. Is it easy? No. Can it be done? Yes. Can you turn degree programs upside down? Yes, you can. And you don't have to necessarily sacrifice on the critical thinking and problem solving uh, development in order to uh, in order to do that. So we're looking for models of institutions that are uh, that care about uh, a graduate employment and are willing to uh, take on uh, inertia and faculty at their institutions in order to uh, implement that. And I think we'll see it. And I think that those institutions will be rewarded uh, with uh, you know higher enrollment. And those that don't uh, and continue doing things as they've uh, as they have again outside of the top fifty institutions, those institutions will uh, see declining enrollment. Yeah, well, Ryan, our, our conversation is almost coming to an end. The last topic I want to cover uh, before we wrap things up is actually with, with COVID. This is very top of mind, which is online courses. And online education is, is become, it's, it's evolving. And I think partly that's because of the technology that's available to us. Now we have tools like Zoom and conferencing that is actually capable of delivering live education to hundreds if not thousands of people simultaneously. And it's becoming more and more immersive. And I'm curious, at what point do you think these online courses will be able to go head to head with traditional universities? Or do you feel like they can already? I feel like the role of online is already uh, cemented uh, as uh, the dominant uh, medium for upskilling for those who already have their foot firmly on the first rung of a career ladder. If you're already uh, working at a uh, large employer, um, in, even in sort of a frontline uh, job, uh, you uh, probably everything you need uh, in terms of your further education and upskilling can be done online. Uh, it's, the, it, it's the gap between uh, childhood effectively and first job uh, where I, I'm not convinced that online is uh, remotely uh, an answer. And the reason for that is obviously uh, the kind of social and emotional uh, skill development uh, and interpersonal skills, uh, those I have not seen uh, an online platform that is that developing those to the same, the same challenges that millions of families around the country are having with their kids at home remote learning uh, are, uh, you know, whether you're uh, eight years old or 18 or 19 years old, uh, you see the same, you see the same issues. And particularly, you know, when we, when we, when we, we, when our, uh, our companies and our pathways run last mile training programs, uh, it's not just about the technical and business skills. It's also about the soft skills, uh, it really need to be done in an immersive environment. So, um, you know, the online models that I've seen, uh, be effective, uh, models like yellow brick or design lab, uh, it's not just about the delivery, uh, of, uh, instruction. Uh, it's equally about, mentoring and coaching uh, around uh, the uh, job search process. And the community. Um, 
You know, I yes. think one of the things that's so great about college is this idea of like, you're not, it's not just the education, you're starting with a community of peers that are at the same stage as you and have a shared purpose for the duration of this program. And to access that community is one of the big reasons people pay as much as they do. But for the first time, we're seeing people access these communities in online environments, which is a paradigm shift that we haven't seen before. Yeah, but I think it's, you know, the point is it doesn't have to be four years or even two years, right? So our company, Reviture, um, they, uh, you know, they're, they have uh, uh, big uh, pathways at uh, like West Virginia University uh, and they rent dorms there and they have hundreds of students in residence there for the three months. And uh, if you were to go visit, it looks and feels a lot like college uh, actually for that, for, that, for that period of time, but it's three months uh, and not, uh, you know, four, four years. And, you know, I wish, I wish everyone had the opportunity to do four years, but uh, obviously uh, that's not working for millions of, of young people economically. So the, let's, let's develop an economically viable system that truly has a level playing field for uh, those students who are uh, in greatest need. Uh, and not, let's not ask them to go into $100,000 of debt uh, and come out into underemployment. Uh, let's make sure we've got an economically sustainable uh, system uh, and let's build from there. Uh, and if the government wants to fund you know, an additional uh, six months of an immersive residential experience uh, doing X, Y, or Z, they can, they can do that. Um, but uh, we, need to, we need to fix the system. Yeah, fantastic. And one, one last point that I'd add about online education is, is to me, it seems like more, the more and more specialized you get, the more it makes sense for education to be online because the less likelihood that they're the experts that you need access to are going to be available in the same geographic region. And so that, that is another uh, trend that we're seeing. I, we're, we're, I mean, I, I'm the CEO of a, a tech company that's building, helping build these live online immersive experiences. And th this is the challenges that we're, we're trying to overcome. And, and we realize that if you do actually make online education work, the fundamental value prop there is when you remove geography as a barrier, education becomes 10 times more accessible and 100 times more affordable. But you're totally right, I think, as it, it definitely makes a lot more sense in the upscaling capacity than the core fundamental education. Totally agree with that. Yeah. Awesome, Ryan. Well, thank you so much. I, I could riff about the, this all day long, but I know our time is running out. So with that, are there any last minute plugs you want to give in terms of how the audience can keep up with you and your writing on social media, et cetera? Uh, so I write a bi-weekly newsletter uh, called The Gap Letter, gapletter.com. You feel free to subscribe. And you can follow me on Twitter at, uh, it's at Ryan Craig AP. So that's Ryan Craig Gap. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Ryan, I really appreciate you coming on. This was a super fun conversation. Great. Enjoyed it, Ish. Appreciate it. And that was Ryan Craig. If you're interested in keeping up with Ryan, go on over to gapletter.com and subscribe to his newsletter or give him a follow on Twitter. And if you're interested in building your own live online cohort-based course, check out what we're building at Virtually. You can head over to tryvirtually.com to learn more. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please give us a rating and subscribe on your favorite podcast player. It really helps get the word out. And with that, this is Ish, signing off.